Welcome to Gospel Fellowship. If this is your first or second time here, we're so glad that you're here. We're going to ask that you would fill out the connection card, and you can turn that in uh, in the back or at our welcome tent. We'd love to get some more information from you. Um, we're going to jump really quickly into our gospel moment. We have been saying at our church, if you were at our vision meeting, then you heard this. It is this idea that we want to see 250 people being actively discipled by the year 2023. Why 2023? 2023 would be our 10-year anniversary. And we don't want to count... We don't want to count our impact by the people that are in this room. We want to count our impact by the people that are actively being discipled. What do I mean by disciple? That people are taking intentional steps with Jesus to be a, a worshiper of Jesus, a servant of Jesus, and a witness of Jesus. That's what we want to see. That's our aim. That's our goal. 250 people by the year 2023. If you believe that God's able to do that through a church like ours, would you give God praise? Amen. Amen. So we want to we wanna keep this vision before you. We're going to keep pushing this vision before you. And what I want to do now is bring out um, Ruth Floriel, Dr. Ruth Floriel. Would you give her a hand clap? Amen. Thank God for you. Thank you for joining us. Ruth has been leading our Fellowship Kids uh, ministry for close to about three years, I want to say. Is it longer? It's shorter. Okay, it's shorter. Cool. So <laughs> we're, let's just say two, two to three years. And we're thankful for her, and I want her to talk a little bit about what discipleship looks like every Sunday morning. Um, whether you realize it or not, there are people that are volunteering um, every week to make the gospel known to our kids that are uh, back here in Fellowship Kids, and also it's happening with our GF youth uh, in the room to my right. So I just wanted to share a little bit about what God is doing in Fellowship Kids. Thank you, Pastor Rod. Good morning, everyone. Um, good morning. <laughs> um, I just wanted to share a little bit about Fellowship Kids. I know sometimes you see us running around trying to figure things out, but essentially, the gospel is everything. The gospel is part of everything that we do. We're not here to entertain the children, but to give them the message of Jesus. And that's, that's what our hope and our goal is every single Sunday. So our volunteers get here um, and they're setting up, getting ready for their lessons between 8.30, 9.45-ish. Um, they come into the classrooms and just like what we do in the service, worship, prayer, and the word, these are our foundational principles in Fellowship Kids. And what you'll see is that we provide a hands-on approach to the Word of God. You'll see children drawing, um, doing arts and crafts. They'll act things out. They'll watch videos, um, a, a plethora of different things that they're engaged in. And they're spending time with one another, the community, the body of Christ. And uh, I read a study that said children's ministry is sending missionaries into the future. That's what we're doing. We may not see it. We may not feel it. 
but everything that we're doing, we're setting up that early foundation for future followers of Christ. Amen. Even if they might be a, you know, four or three or six, um, but the work that we're doing, when the time is right, we'll see it come out. And I'll just, just prayer for example, one of, um, one of the ladies in my life group, she said she was going through a really tough time and her kids came to her and said, mommy, we wanna pray for you. And they prayed for her during her time of just sadness, right? Dealing with whatever she was dealing with. And, and even our children knowing the difference between right and wrong. I was reading a book with my daughter the other day and something happened to a young girl who was nine and she cried because she felt that emotion that why this is not right and we should know and see and feel when someone is going through something mm. mourn with those who mourn mm. and rejoice with those who rejoice that's good that's good so. talk a little bit for us ruth thank you for that thank mm -hmm. you for that talk a little bit about um as parents i'm going to be preaching to parents in just a moment mm -hmm. but talk a little bit about how parents can partner with fellowship kids to see children um, grow in their faith in Christ. Absolutely. Um, I, I just want to say um, that childhood, and this is not my words, this is what a lot of different studies have said, childhood is the best time for young people to be open to the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, and I know how much we care about our children because I love my children. I would do anything for them. But one thing I want to encourage parents is in a study that asked a lot of different people, like, what led you to Christ? What made you come to Christ? 50, when, when thinking of the different factors that helped these ministry leaders um, come to Christ, 50% of them said their parents. 50% of them. And the children's ministry, 28% said the children's ministry. 26% said Christian friends. 24% said other family members. So I wanna encourage you um, that what you do matters. The things that you don't do matter as well, yeah. right? Yeah. Everything that we're doing, and um, I was at a women's conference yesterday, and we were talking about not listening to the lies of the enemy, mm -hmm. and the, the speaker said one day her daughter said that she was dumb because she was dyslexic, and she got on her knees and said, you are not dumb. And, and, and we, how many lies is the enemy telling our own right, children right. and we're not aware of? And I think of the Lion King and how Scar went to Simba and said, you know, and lied to him multiple times. Mm. And I just want to encourage us to really believe and fight for our children, not just giving them, putting them in the best schools mm. or, you know, giving them the nice shoes, Jordans. I, I can't afford Jordans, but um, you, you know, but we want them to look nice and we want them to feel good. But what they need from us is that time, mm. that love and attention, and they need the gospel to fight against all the lies of the enemy um, that's coming against them on a week long basis, every day, social media. So I just wanna encourage all the parents to, we're in a unique position to spiritually shepherd our children. And um, they need us. They need us because we make all the difference. We, we're doing our parts, and, and this is really a church vision because it's the ministry, it's the children's ministry, and a lot of our children's ministry volunteers are parents, yeah. right? So it's essential. Even in my life group, I said to my life group leader, 
when the guys separated, I was like, can you disciple my son for me? And he was like, that's a good idea. And I heard that from the gospel moment mm. when Jennifer said, you, when you find those guys that are single, disciple them. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I need to disciple my son for somebody. Right. So it, we, we have to do that, not just the women. We want the women to be a certain way, but we need to disciple our sons. Amen. So I would say that to the parents. That's good. Hey man, you may be seated. God bless you. Good to see you. You look good. Hey man, you walked in here on your two feet. That's a blessing, whether you know it or not. You came in your right mind. You can put sentences together. Praise God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. We're glad you're here. This is our last and final week of our series. It's our family series. We called it Me, We, Us, and we've just been spent some time talking about personal relationships. We've been talking about friendship, how important friendship is, that we need each other. We, we, we understand that without each other, we die faster. God has made us to be communal in nature. We talked about singleness and what it means to be singles and the joy and the challenges of singleness. We talked about dating and what that looks like, the joy and the challenges of dating. We talked about marriage last week. Thankful for Pastor Rosa that came and helped us wrestle through the complexities of marriage. And now we're going to talk about parenting. Here's the truth that we've been saying throughout this series, and I'll say it one more time. We need people. The problem is people are a mess. If there's any relationship that we can speak to the messiness of it, it's parenting. So today we're going to look into God's word. And, and I just want to give you this, war this warning this morning. Whether you are a parent or not, you need this word. Whether you have children or not, you need this word. Um, I want to ch challenge and I think God's going to speak to us in a unique way. So let's jump right into the text. I'm going to need all my time this morning. Genesis 22. Uh, verse 1 through 19. Genesis 22, verse 1 through 19. What time is it? Amen. Genesis 22, 1 through 19 says this. And after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, take, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering, one on the, mount, on the mountain which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Verse 4, and on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar, then Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, the fire, took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, uh, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the land for the burnt offering, my son. So they, they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand 
and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy and do do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of the son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. King James Version says Jehovah Jireh. As it is written, as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Let's stop there. I want to talk to you about three things under the title more than parents. Somebody say more than parents. Three things. Number one, the perfect parent. Number two, the parent's test. And number three, a place of worship. Let me say it again slow for the note takers. Number one, the perfect parent. Number two, the parent's test. And number three, the place of worship. Would you join me in prayer? Let's ask for God's help. Father, thank you that you always hear us. What confidence we have in you that you hear me when I pray. So I ask, God, would you draw them to yourself? I say boldly, I can't do that. That's a work that your spirit does. So would your spirit in a powerful way draw men and women to you? Would they kneel under your word and obey it? Not a man's voice, but the word of God. So God, would you use me to that end, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The perfect parent. I want to start in Genesis. I want us to go back to the beginning as we talk about parenting. Uh, and the Bible says in Genesis 1 that God created the heavens and the earth. It is God that creates the heaven and the earth. It is God that creates humanity. The Bible says in Genesis 1, 26, that he made us in his own image and in his likeness. We are made by him. We are made for him and we are made in his image and in his likeness. And he takes Adam and Eve and he places them in the Garden of Eden. He gives Adam and Eve, this newly married couple, what's called the creation mandate. Here it is. Be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth. Take dominion. In other words, he does not just plant them there without purpose. God has a purpose for Adam and Eve. Watch this. He has a purpose for Adam and Eve that comes before Adam and Eve becoming parents, which lets me know that my purpose in life cannot be trapped in my status as a parent or not a parent. He gives them a purpose, and he, being the good father, that's who he is, places them in this perfect environment. He has these perfect kids who have known no sin, who have never talked back to their father, never snapped on their father, never went off on their father. These, this perfect father with these perfect kids put them in the perfect environment, gives them perfect instructions, give them perfect, uh, uh, the, the perfect scenario for them to flourish. 
Adam and Eve would have been, would have been, would have been perfect parents. But because of the fall, because of their decision in Genesis 3 to disobey God and sin against him, now sin enters humanity. Beloved, if Adam and Eve were not perfect parents, here's what that means. If sin has been passed down from Adam and Eve to us, then the idea of a perfect parent don't exist. I know that when we have children, that is our desire to be perfect parents. But if Genesis 3 is right, then perfect parents don't exist. And isn't it like God to not allow even our forefathers and foreparents to be perfect. It, is, it reminds me of what he says in Genesis 2, uh, verse 8 through 10, where he talks about salvation being of the Lord so that no man can boast. Young father, there is no older father that you can talk to to be mentored about fathering your kids that is a perfect father. Mother, there is no mother that you can talk to to be mentored to learn how to be the perfect mom because they're not a perfect mom themselves. Understand, in this game called parenting, there is no perfection. Because of sin, sin has been passed down, so all dads are broken. Not just yours. All moms are messy. Not just, not just yours. You see, we take these kids and, and what we do, instead of love them the way we should because of sin, we try to control them. We take these kids, and instead of loving them the way we should, we manipulate them. We try to shape them in our own image and not in God's. We take these kids, and instead of loving them, we minimize them. We, we dismiss them. We corner them. Instead of loving these kids, we, we idolize them, make too much of them. And isn't it like Satan to take this information and use it against us? Here's what Satan does. He, he understands that there are no perfect moms, there are no perfect dads, but he tempts us to think, well, I know nobody else was a perfect mom, but when I have my baby, I know everybody else that right I hear, everybody's dad is a hot heated mess, but me and my children, we're the exception to the rule. Ruth was talking about the lies that the enemy tells. And beloved, when you and I buy into that lie that we are the exception of broken parents, and we try and we try and we push and we push and we plan and we plan and we work and we work only to find out that all our toil still leaves us broken and our children wanting. So what does Satan do once we can't measure up? He brings in shame and guilt and condemnation and insecurity. It is the cycle of dysfunction that we have cycled into our children, trying to be God to them, only to let them down time and time again. He has been a liar from the beginning. Rodney, what is this lies that he tell? There are two primary lies that he tell. This is just my introduction. Bear with me. I didn't preach to you last week. I missed you. I got a lot to tell you. Stay, just stay with me. 
The first lie he tells is he minimized children in our eyes. He says stuff like, children will keep me from everything that I want. Children are a hindrance. You'll say stuff like, I should have waited longer to have them. I could have lived more of my life. Children are not like the scripture says, an inheritance. Blessed is the man that have his quiver full. They are a nuisance to be avoided. If we're not careful, we'll buy the lie and minimize children. Then we'll say things like, they're such an inconvenience. They're slowing me. That, and I know you're not going to say that. I know ain't nobody going to shout right there. I know. Just keep looking forward. You'll say stuff like, man, they're slowing me. I could have been so much further along the road. We'll minimize our children, not view them like God does. God says, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. That God has purposes for our kids even when we don't know the purpose for our kids. God is serious about his children, so we should not minimize them. The second lie that the enemy we skillfully and almost secretively in our hearts is to idolize our children. We say things like this, not that children will keep me from everything, but that children will give me everything I want if I can just be a mom or a dad. And if I'm a mom or a dad, then this is going to be where I get my identity. My children are going to give me who I am. They're going to tell me who I am. I'll look to them for belonging. I'll, I'll say things like, my family comes first. I know as I say these things, I'm going to rub up against some idols in our heart, but I want to allow you to give me the room this morning to mess with your idols. We'll say stuff like, my family come first. What does that mean when you say that? Does our family come first or does God come first? Which one is it? In, in, in the loss of, of, of Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi, and they just had the memorial, and the world is still willing because of this. One of the beauties that arise out of the ashes of his death is this concept called girl dads. And man, do I appreciate it. My daughter, well, I had two daughters first, and I used to tell people, I'm fine. You know, it's cool. Call me Barack Obama. I'm chilling with Jordan and Zion, and, you know, we good. Then I had two more, one boy and one girl. But it's beautiful, this idea that a father will be close to his daughter. Man, praise God for that. Can y'all hear me say praise God for that? But if my identity, if where I go to tell me who I am is being a girl dad, then my soul will be left wanting when she reads me my rights and walk out the house. I'll be lost when she goes to school. I'll be crushed when she gets married. I'll be devastated when she doesn't come to visit. I can't rest who I am in my kids. They were not built to carry that weight. It's too heavy for them. 
your expectations will crush them. They can't tell you who you are. They can't be your approval. Oh, if I, if, as, as long as my kids approve of me, I'm fine. As, as, as long as, you know, my kids love me, I'm, I'm fine. I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago. My kids know, my, my, my kids know the truth. I, I got drama all around my life, but my kids know the truth. As long as my kids know who their mother is, I'm fine. Your approval can't come from your kids. Because one day they won't approve. Idols always leaves us wanting more in one of the most tempting idols to serve or your children. And so, Rodney, the question becomes, how do I know if my kids are an idol? If you go to them for, for, for control, if you're seeking control over your kids, they may be an idol. If you got to control every facet of, if God can't break in and take the joystick and run something for a minute, it might be an idol. If you want your kids' approval so much that you're not going to tell them the hard thing, because Rodney, I don't want them to get mad at me. I know how they are. If I tell them that, they're going to throw a fit. I'm tired. I had a long day. There's a lot going on. I'm not going to say the hard thing. I just don't. I, I, listen, everybody's had a long You make up every excuse for telling the truth. Why? Under that, here's what you want. Will you accept me now? Your kids were not designed to give you approval. So, Rodney, where do I get approval from? Where, where do I get comfort in a long week? Where do I get power? Where, where do I get control? You get that from your relationship with Christ. Rodney, what does that look like? It looks like this. Jordan, I have to get on you, and I'm taking something you love for a week. And you're going to give me those brown eyes. And you're going to walk away slow to your room, waiting for me to stop you. And give it back, but I got to be reminded, before I'm a girl dad, I'm a boy son to the perfect dad. And I want approval from you, Lord, so I'll get it from you. I want comfort. Long week. I'm not going to run to my kids, and they may see me coming and run. Daddy, daddy, pick them up. Give me a hug with their little hands tapping me on the back. But that's not where my ultimate comfort lies. There's another place of comfort for me. There's someone who can counsel me through hard weeks better than my kids can. His name is Jesus, and that's where we run to. He's calling us to. So, Rodney, then what's my life purpose? Then what's my aim? Then why am I here? Where do I find comfort? Matthew 22 tells us. Jesus replies this way, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. We got to go to God, y'all. Because anything that rivals our relationship with God is an idol. Let's look at the text to let us help us through this. Point two, point two, a parent's test. Abraham had been waiting for his son Isaac for a long time. Over some 20-some-odd years, he's been waiting for his son. And our text opens up in verse 1 by saying this, uh, Abraham tested, or God tested Abraham. Now, you and I have the comfort of reading verse 1. Abraham doesn't. If you're going through a test right now, what if I came to you three months ago when you were beginning the test and told you it's only a test? You would have a comfort that you may not have now. But the writer wants to cushion the reader to help the reader understand this is only a test. Okay, Rodney, why, it, why am I being tested? 
Let me give you this definition I found of testing. God allows his people to pass through certain experiences so that they may see where their faith really lies. So that, that he might prove to them that their faith is in him. Rodney, what are you saying? The testing that God takes you and I through is to show us where we stand. The testing that he takes you and I through is to expose to us what our idols are. Why? Because it's hard for us to see buried idols. So he has to allow us to go through a test so he can show us where he's trying to take us and what's stopping us from us going there. Gia's family, the challenging your singleness, the challenging your friendships, the challenging your marriage, the challenging your parents' parenting, could it be a test from the Lord to show you where your affections lie? This is what he does with Abraham. He says, take now your son, your only son. Now, there's something right there. If I had 27 kids and you say take one, which one you want? But he says, take your son, your only son. What is he asking Abraham for? Consequently, he's asking Abraham for everything. You want my only son, the son you promised me. So now you want my son and you want the promise that you gave to me. You want my son and you want the promise. And then who's going who's gonna to be the person that inherits all of my life's work? Who's going to carry my name if I give you my son? And then what in the world am I going to tell Sarah? God asks Abraham for everything. He says, take him and offer him up as a burnt offering. Let me help you understand what that means. In a burnt offering, you will take an animal, you will cut his throat, you will let the blood drain out, then you will dismember his body so he fits on the altar. And then you would burn his flesh as an offering to God. He does not say do that with a lamb. He does not say do that with a ram. He says do that with your son. Rodney, that's graphic, man. That's messy. Like, why even include that in the sermon? Here's why. You want to talk messy? Your sin's messy. You want to talk gruesome? Your sin against a holy God is gruesome. Your offense against a holy and righteous God is offensive. But there's good news. There's good news here. We have someone to deal with the dirtiness and the filth of your sin and my sin. We have a sin bearer. 
I don't know if you ever feel condemned or guilty or shame or guilt because of your sin. Can I pause and tell you there's good news. You have a sin bearer. You have a sin carrier. This text is in the first book of the Bible, but it is leaking with Jesus all over it. He asked Isaac, he asked Abraham for a son. And this is not far-fetched for Abraham. Here's why, because Abraham grew up in Ur, and in his homeland, they would sacrifice children often. In other words, it is not a far-fetched for Abraham to conceptualize offering children to a deity. Now, to be clear, we are not talking child sacrifice today. But I wonder, are there different ways we sacrifice our children for our own pleasure and good? I wonder, are there ways that we are neglecting our children because we're so fixated with you fill in the blank? That you are too busy to care for, to lead, to disciple your children. I wonder if we sacrifice our children and just offer them up to things like social media and television or offer them up to to activities and clubs and not give them ourselves. But I love how Abraham responds. He responds with quick obedience. I love it. He hears God and he moves. There's no waiting, no procrastination. He hears God and then he moves. And he's demonstrating to us uh, this, this, this idea of discipling our children. Abraham hears this command from God. He goes, he cuts wood, he gets a donkey, he gets two men, and he starts moving to obey what God has called him to do. And there are some nuggets that we see that are helpful. The Bible says Abraham rises up early and does the work. He rises up early and does the work. This speaks to Abraham's intentionality in discipling his children. He raises up early and disciples his children. That's intentional. We can be intentional with everything else. When it comes to our kids, we think for some reason they're just going to catch everything. That because they bear your last name, they're just going to know what to do. No. We got to be intentional. He cuts wood and he gets the donkey. That shows me that he is making provisions for worship. In other words, to train and disciple my children in the way of the Lord, it's going to cost me something. I'm going to have to invest in this. Well, Rodney, I don't know how to disciple my kids. I don't really know. I'm not really good at praying with them. I'm not really good at going over the word with them. I don't really know how that works. That didn't stop you no other time. When it was time to go to school, you figured it out. When it was time to go to the club, you figured it out. You figured out your, 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 your sin, you got a PhD in that. You were researching. But when it comes to our kids, I think we have this tendency to think they are going to learn through osmosis. Not so. Lastly, he takes two men to join them on the journey. I love this. That shows me community. Listen, it takes a village. I love it. It takes a village to raise children. 
We need other godly people walking with us in the journey of, of, of our children becoming disciples of Christ. Then he says in verse 4, the boy and I will go up yonder and worship. I love it. He calls him a boy, but commentators will tell us he's more like 15. So don't think of this boy and his father going up to worship like he's six and the father's 40. Abraham's old, 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 old. And Isaac's at least 14, 15 years of age. In other words, the stronger of the two of them going up the mountain is not Abraham, it's Isaac. That changes the whole narrative, doesn't it? The boy carries the wood, not Abraham. Abraham carries the knife and the elements for the fire. And when Isaac comes in with his questions, that helps us better see what's happening in the text. Look at the question. He says to the father, Father, I see the fire and I see the wood, but where is the lamb? Here's what this question is instructing us. Isaac has seen this before. Or he don't know what's missing. In other words, it was their custom to worship. In other words, it was the practice of Abraham to raise his son Isaac actively worshiping God. This is why he knows something's missing. Parent, is it your, one of your primary functions as a parent is to disciple your children? Are you showing them how to worship God? It's hard to shout when I'm standing on your toes. I was talking to my wife yesterday. As I often say, the word hits me first. Because I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about just signing them into fellowship kids. I'm not talking about sending off to the Christian summer camp. I'm talking about have you, have I, sat with our children and opened up the book and showed them where the source of life is found. I'm not talking about a quick video online. Preach, Rodney. I'm talking about you showing them how to eat food out of a book that will sustain you in a time of trouble and testing. I'm talking about you showing them how to get before God and pray and let tears come if they may. Have you brought your children into your inner chambers with God? Spent a lot of time in the summers with my grandmother, and whenever I woke up, at whatever time I woke up, if you went in her room, her knees are rubbery from prayer. You knew you could not interfere with her while she was spending her time with God. Have we shown this generation more than social media, more than just them being in the right schools and more than I'm just being in all activities and all these other things. Nothing wrong with those things. Nothing wrong with those things. But have we showed them Jesus? Or is that Gospel Fellowship's job? Or do you have the right to be overly critical of a children's ministry when you won't crack a book with your kids? The word comes to me first. There is too much at stake for us to be lazy with this. Does Netflix get more of your attention than your kids? Are you spending more time on social media than in prayer? Not just for you and your little cute devotional life, but so that your children may know there's a God that's alive and real. 
Isaac said, I've seen this a thousand times. There's the fire. There's the wood. Man, where's the lamb? I love, I, I love Abraham's response. Abraham says, um, God will provide the lamb. Here's what that means in real talk. Man, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm asking the same question you asking. That's why I'm walking so slow, God. Where is the lamb? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm waiting for you to jump in. Have you ever been parenting, waiting for God to jump in? God, stuff, stuff getting late. I, I need your help. I'm, I'm failing here as a parent. I need grace. I'm struggling with anger, and, and I'm raising my voice too much. I need help. God, step in. I think in the midst of our, of, of, of our parenting, we're often asking this question, where's the lamb? Where is the lamb? My money is funny. God, where is the lamb? I thought I'd be further by now so I could give the kids the life that I want them to have. Where is the lamb? Abraham says, I don't really know, but the God that I serve is faithful. Abraham says it this way, God himself will provide the lamb. If you read over in Hebrews, and I'm, I'm just going to flow for the rest of this sermon. If you read over in Hebrews, here's what you'll discover. As Abraham is getting ready to offer his son, he has already concluded in his mind that if God tells me to offer up my son, then the only plausible conclusion is if I kill Isaac, God is about to raise him from the dead right in front of my eyes. Abraham already concluded, God, that promise is faithful. When God says something, he means it. When he starts something, he finishes. If he told me Isaac was the promise, then if he asked me to kill him, he must finna raise him. Beloved, isn't that a similar picture of another father? Isaiah 53 tells us, told us it pleased God to crush him. There was another father sitting on his throne who knew that the only way to deal with sin once and for all was not another lamb or another ram or another animal. The only way that we can deal with sin once and for all is by if I send my son, my only son. This is a job God has to do himself. Doesn't that remind you? of another father that is already predetermined in his mind that my son will die. Not like Isaac. Isaac would be spared. Jesus would be offered. And God had already concluded in his mind, if I let Jesus die, I got to raise him up. Beloved, what's happening in this text is Abraham is talking resurrection in Genesis. The mind of God, Jesus, would be slain but would be raised. So, Rodney, what do I do with this parenting deal? Good question. Man, love your kids. I'm not knocking you loving your kids. Love them. They cute. Hold them. Kiss them, right? Provide for them. Pay your bills. You got kids out there somewhere? Pay for your kids. 
Don't let nobody come looking for child support in Jesus' name. We rebuke that spirit in Jesus' name. We rebuke anybody being affected by that spirit in Jesus' name. Love your kids. Pay for, for your kids. But don't worship your kids. So we teach worship. When you're in church, show them. When you're at home, show them how to worship. Our worship leaders shouldn't have to teach your kids how to worship. That's not Fellowship Kids' job. That's yours, beloved. Show them. Teach them worship. Teach them to pray. Teach them to be generous. Teach them to serve. This is our job. In other words, we should be pointing our kids to worshiping Jesus, but not just praying or giving first. In other words... Don't just pray. Bef- don't just teach them to pray before the test. All right, we about to take you know, uh, well, common core and all that stuff is done now, right? Praise God, hallelujah! All the tests and stuff is done. But it's not just pray before the test, but teach them that whatever happens in this test, if the test don't come out the way you want it, know that you still have value and dignity in Jesus, and you got value and dignity from me. Not just a verse a day will keep the devil away or to make sure you pray in the morning so your whole day go good. No, but help them to see that we grow at all times in our love for God and our love for the scriptures. Amen. Not just pray first or worship first, but worship in our substance, in all that we are. Final point, the place of worship. Here's a picture. Abraham and Isaac are going up to worship. I already told you Isaac is healthy and strong. The son is going up with the father. The father would be the offerer. The son would be the offering. And they're going up this mountain together. Isaac, if he wanted to, could have ran, could have pushed his dad, could have left this place of worship. I don't want no parts of this worship. But Isaac submits to the will of the Father. Do you see it? This 15-year-old, probably been doing a lot of push-ups back home with Sarah. Strong, got a little bit of size on him. Man, he could say, man, Dad, you done bump your head. I'm out, man. You ain't put me on that wood. But what does he say? He submits to the will of the Father. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? Headed up to the cross. He could have got down anytime he want. He could have not got arrested. He could have he could have turned the people that were whipping him. He could have turned the whips on them. What keeps him there? What kept him on the cross? It wasn't the nails, y'all. What kept him on the cross is that he had submitted to the will of the Father back in the garden. Remember what he said? Not my will be done but your will be done. And Abraham reaches for the knife to slay his son. I got a question, man. How, what kind of God would ask a man to kill his son? What kind of God? Some of y'all are thinking that right now. You're like, I'm kind of new to this Christian thing. Man, I walk into service, y'all talking about killing kids, something wrong. 
I'm at the wrong church. What kind of God would ask a man to kill his son, his only son, the son he promised? I got a better question. What kind of God would allow his son to die for folk that are unworthy? You see, beloved, sin is serious. He's about to slay his son. He raises up the knife to come down on him, and then the voice comes from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, do not kill him. I have provided a way of escape. That's such good news. God is not asking you to sacrifice your children. God is asking you, parent, to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Not a dead sacrifice. This is not life and death. This is a living sacrifice. This is death to sin and walking in the newness that God's given to us so that the full wrath of God because of what Jesus has done has been poured out on him. Jesus is my ram. My kids are cute and amazing and I love them but I need this ram, you need this ram stuck in the thicket, our kids need this ram. This ram is Jesus, and he's done for us what we could never do. Isaac doesn't die on that mountain, the ram does. And we don't die on the altar, our kids don't die on the altar, but Jesus does. And he's done it so that we can have a chance at eternal life. This is what we need our kids to know. That's what we need our kids to believe.